Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Good morning, Downtown Hope. Uh, David here, and I have the gift and joy of serving as executive pastor, and uh, just joyful that we can continue to gather, uh, some on the field and the rest of us here online. And as we begin our journey this morning, I have a question. And the question is simple. What gives you worth? What gives you value? What, at the end of the day, gives you the utmost a satisfaction? Is it the fact that you're a mom or that you're a father? Uh, is it your household? Is it, maybe it's the money you have in the bank. Uh, maybe it's the fact that you're joining in with us this morning. What is it that gives you your value? Maybe it's where you align yourself politically. Maybe it's because you have the right stance on certain issues. And and whatever that thing is, if we're not careful, in order uh, to to save face, in order for us to continue to feel that sense of worth, we have to keep doing and doing and doing. It's like we have to earn our merit before other people. And, And when we live that way, some would say it leads to what many have called a meritocracy, And what that simply means is that we live in a society where the successful or those uh, that we look to are only those that have merit, only those that have talent. And the danger of that is what we're communicating is like, you know what, I'm not like you, and so you need to become like me in order for me to accept you. And friends, that's a dangerous philosophy, especially when it creeps into the church. Because then the church becomes a a place where people are only received if they're the gifted and the talented. It becomes a place where you are only valued if you have merit. And you see, Paul recognizes the danger of this teaching. He, He recognizes the danger invading the church at Philippi, and as such, He sends a warning, and that warning is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. So I'll read that this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Here, Here Paul's warning. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Here's the warning. He says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, 
as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. Let's pray. Almighty God, what a gift it is for us to center our attention on Jesus. Lord, we desire to live for you, to glory in you, to make our boast in you. And so as we come to this passage, Lord, set our attention on Christ and him alone. And may that forever change us. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I want to welcome you as we continue in our series through the book of Philippians called Press On. In this book, you see, Paul planted a church in Philippi, one of the first churches he planted, and he writes this letter and he expresses gratefulness for their partnership in the gospel. But this particular body of believers are beginning to face hardships, and the question that remains, the question for them, and perhaps the question for us is, will they persevere? And so if you remember a couple of weeks ago when Joey opened the series, we read from Philippians 1, 6, where it says, of God, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so God will be there. God is going to finish the work he started. The question, though, is will they? Will the church at Philippi endure? In fact, the question for us today is will we endure? What's at stake for the Philippians, what's at stake for us is the potential for us to actually drift away because we place our confidence in our merits. We place our confidence, if you will, on what our resume says. You see, it was, I was first in high school when I was first taught the importance of a good resume, how to write. When I was told that if I want to make it in life, I better have a good resume. Because this resume would list out my achievements, my merits, my talents. It would list out everything that I had done. Well, apparently, when you get to the book of Philippians, they were teachers creating havoc for the church at Philippi. They were saying that the Christians in Philippi weren't quite measuring up to their standards. It's like they were looking at the, the, the resume of the congregation, and they were like, blah, blah. No, no circumcision, no adherence to the law. They needed more. I suggest it's like that today. Maybe we're in the faith, but there are those that, that are questioning whether or not we're really in the faith. And so in order to be affirmed by others, they, man, they're putting pressure on me. I, I got to vote this way. I have to have this stance on this particular issue. I have to believe the right way. I have to be passionate about the things they are passionate and Paul hears that this is what is going on at Philippi, and he says, watch out. 
In fact, he says, look out. He says, beware. We see it in verse 2. There's a warning. Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. It's like Paul hears what's going on, and it's like he's looking around, and he asks this question, who, 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 who let the dogs out? What is going on? These false teachers are arguing that the Philippians had to do more than just have faith in Christ, that they must be circumcised, that they must conform themselves to the requirements of the Mosaic law, that those that had professed faith in Christ had only come halfway, and in order to be fully in, they had to do more. It's like they're saying there's not enough on their resume. They were still Gentile outsiders, and Paul called anyone that would place this burden on people, any teacher that would do this, he would call them dogs. And again, dogs, when you read Scripture, they're not like those lovable, huggable creatures that some of you have in your home. I'm not personally a fan. I'm terrified of dogs. But for many of us today, we see dogs as lovable, huggable pets. But in those days, in ancient Israel, dogs were the most despicable of creatures because they, they roamed the street, streets and they were scavengers. They would bite at anything. And this is the imagery that Paul is saying. These people that would come and heap this burden are like dogs, biting, going after you. And Paul warns the Philippians, don't let these teachers tell you that you have to do that you have to adopt their lifestyle in order to find worth don't let them tell you that you have to belong to their subculture in order for you to be righteous before god you see paul knows the danger he knows the error he knows where this road leads because he himself made this same area he 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 was one of them once upon a time in fact he has an autobiography to prove it you talk about resumes paul had a resume Paul is saying, you, you want to become Jewish in order to become Christian? You want to add? Is that, what, is that what's going to give you value? Is that what's going to give you significance? Paul says, I, I see what you're asking of them. I, I see your resume, but I can do better. You see it in verse 5. Paul lays out his credentials. I was circumcised on the eighth day, meaning as it relates to my faith in God, it began At my birth, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, meaning so many folks had had merged with other cultures. They were lost tribes of Israel, and so many didn't even know which tribe they came from. Paul says, I know absolutely where I come from, from the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, I was a Pharisee. So you can never question Paul's integrity as it relates to Scripture. He he knew it. He knew every jot. He knew every tittle. He knew everything it said, and he was careful as a Pharisee to obey. He says, as it relates to the law, I was a Pharisee. As it relates to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. He was so sold out for God that he would go after anyone that he deemed a heretic. He was a heresy hunter. And he says, as it relates to righteousness under the law, said he was blameless. That, that's his resume. Every requirement of the law, he's not saying he's sinless. He's saying, even when I sinned, I went to the law and I did. I made atonement. I fulfilled every requirement of the law. And he was banking his righteousness on these things. 
He was banking his worth on these things. I dare ask, what do you bank your worth on? Maybe it's your looks. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's the education you have. Maybe it's your profession. Maybe it's you, you have a great family. Maybe it's where you live. And so many of us, maybe we've heaped up a list of things that give us value. And so Paul, with this great list, he does the most unexpected thing with his credentials. He does the most unexpected thing with his resume. Verse 7 says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. How could Paul, with all this merit, say this? He's in essence saying, I took my resume, I took all my credentials, and I tossed it in the trash. And if you pay attention to what he said, I tossed it in the trash because it is trash. But not just trash, he says it is rubbish. Literally, it is excrement. It is filth. What happened to Paul? What happened to Paul that changed his perspective of life? What happened to this man with great merit that he could stand before all of Israel and say, look, who's better than me? What happened to him that he would change his outlook on life and find worth somewhere else? He tells us in verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, Paul now thinks of those things he once boasted about. He now views them as misused credit cards. It's like he was spending and spending and spending, thinking he was gaining something, only to find himself deeper and deeper into debt. He was suffering loss. And he is now willing to give it all up because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Friends, worth doesn't come from what you do. You see, your value isn't based upon the things around you. You see, true worth doesn't come from things. It comes from a person. You need someone to ascribe worth and value to you. And Paul finds that in Christ, that I might know Christ. He says it again in this passage, knowing Christ. That's what changed everything. Friends, when he says that I might know Christ or the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, please understand that it is very intimate language. It may seem like mere words on a piece of paper, but if we turn all the way back to the book of Genesis, we see what it means to know someone. For the Bible tells us of Adam and Eve that Adam knew his wife Eve. That doesn't mean he intellectually knew who she was. It means he experienced fully who she was with great intimacy. And as such, he knew her. You see, with the fall, when you read in Genesis chapter 3, man, if you remember, mankind was naked and unashamed, but after the fall, there was shame, and they covered their nakedness. Friends, we do the very same thing. We hide and we cover our nakedness through performance. And every time we have an accolade to add to our resume, we cover, we hide. And why do we hide? Maybe it's because we believe we're unlovable. 
Maybe it's believe, we, we believe that we have no worth, and we need to do these things before other people that we might find worth. But you see, Paul on that road to Damascus saw Jesus for who he is. He saw Jesus as the divine bridegroom coming, not for resumes, but coming for a bride. And as such, he had no problem uncovering himself before Jesus. He had no problem exposing himself before Jesus because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He says, of knowing Christ, my Lord. You read all the Bible. This is the only place that Paul says, my Lord. You see, if you know anything about Paul, he was a Pharisee. He's been persecuting the church. He was a heresy hunter. He at first denied that Jesus was Messiah, but now he would bend the knee happily and confess him to be Lord, but not just Lord. Here's the intimacy, my Lord. Paul is saying, I have him. He is mine and I am his. And because I am his, I have found something of infinite worth. He is precious like nothing else. Everything in my life that I thought was of value is rubbish compared to what I know of him. So I ask you this morning, what do you place your confidence in? Do you really rest day by day because of your family? because of your heritage, where you, you came from? Is it because of your, your, your parents? Do you rest? Do you find value? Do you find confidence because of your performance, the, the, the fact that you've never missed a Sunday? Do you rest each day pumping your chest because you read your Bible? Do you rest in your purity that you're a good man or that you're a good woman? Or maybe you find value because you found the right candidate to align with. Maybe you find value because you found a cause you can get behind with. Paul says to people like you, beware of them. Look, look out. They, they are absolutely dangerous. Don't listen to them. Paul says, let me point you to the one to whom true riches flow. The one to whom can ascribe absolute value and worth. The thing we so desperately seek after and so desperately need, he says, let me point you to Christ. And what do you gain in Christ? It's this new accounting system. You read the passage, you gain Christ. You know Christ. You are found in him. You have his righteousness. You know the power of his resurrection. You share in his sufferings. You become like him in death, and you attain the resurrection from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying you find joy. Why do we want to give up? Why don't we persevere? Because if we're not careful, our faith becomes joyless because it gets tiring trying to do and do to, for people's sake. But when you know him, you dare not rest. You live for him. Our faith, a brother told me, is not a passive faith. We don't sit by and wait for our ticket to heaven. No, we are actively pursuing him. We're actively serving in this city. In fact, when you read this passage, Paul says what, a, what the true person of faith is. He says they, they, they worship the Spirit, they boast in Jesus, and they don't place their confidence in the flesh. And so, friends, I want to invite all of us to place our joy in Christ. You see, the thing that should cause you to come alive, 
is the thing you love the most. It's the thing which brings you the most joy. In fact, that's how Paul begins this chapter. Did you see it in verse 1? Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. But he knows why they can't rejoice. Because of this temptation to find value and worth in something else. Friends, we must press on for one reason, that we might gain Christ. He says, Paul says, God's going to do it. He'll be there. But will we, we must press on that we might gain Christ. As we said earlier, Jesus isn't coming back to look at your resume. He's coming back for his bride. And so spend now until then preparing yourself for that day. So here's a simple way to begin that journey. I would suggest we did it earlier today through confession. You see, confession is when we begin to take off the layers. The things we once thought were gain, we, we begin to confess that to the Lord. And as we're undressing ourselves before the Lord, we ball up that resume, we ball up those merits that we thought gave us worth, and we toss it in the trash. And it's then when you stand naked before the Lord and you posture yourself to receive his love, it is there that you begin to experience the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Friends, that's how we can press on. And you do this, this constant rhythm of exposing yourself before the divine bridegroom, releasing layer after layer. And you do that until the day we fully gain him. Friend, that's my prayer for all of us this morning. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.